Hey guys, welcome back to Better From The Ground Up, and today we have guest Paul Bodenstein on with us again, and we are going to cover the top five soybean production strategies that we think you should keep in mind for this upcoming season. Every morning when you get up, you run up the flag, it says balanced nutrition, and you salute it every morning. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my strategy. There's no magic program for everybody. It's about identifying what's most limiting and fixing it. So it's amazing what the crop can do when your nutrition is squared away and everything's good and adequate and balanced. Hey guys, Cody Goins here. Welcome back to Better From The Ground Up. And today we have Paul Bodenstein with us again. Um, Most of you guys are familiar with Paul by now, but for those of you that have never heard Paul, he runs an independent consulting business in Virginia. Ag Systems is the name of his company, and we've been working with Paul for a few years now on plant nutrition, um, plant health. We've learned a lot from Paul, so we like to bring him on as often as we can. Um, Today we're going to talk about the top five practices for soybean production. Um, And just like on the corn, uh, uh, um, the, the episode on corn, the top five corn production practices, Um, you could debate this if you want and say, oh, there's stuff that's more important than that. But we, we just want to bring stuff up that we feel like is very relevant. Um, there's a lot that goes into producing a crop. I understand that, you know, I could have a list of 20 things that are important, but, uh, but we wanted to whittle it down to, to five. So these are the five things that we feel are very important. And and most of these, a lot of people aren't talking about. So that's why we wanted to focus on them. Um, just because we feel like it's very important, and a lot of times it's pretty overlooked information. So um, first on the list um, is plant as early as possible and pay attention to your variety selection. So variety selection and early planting are two things that are very, very important for soybean production. Um, And I'm going to refer to Paul on the variety selection Tell me a little bit, Paul, uh, tell us a little bit about how you go about selecting what varieties you want to use, which ones you don't want to use, and then touch a little bit on what we're seeing with early planting compared to later planted soybeans. Okay, well, good morning, Cody. Um, let's talk about the planting as early as possible. Um, okay. I The data the, the data I've seen would ever suggest that the beans, if you plant too close to March 21st, that is the spring equinox. Mm-hmm. The soybean plants got to know that the days are getting longer. And if you plant too close to that date, especially if it's cold and they sit in the ground, for or, excuse me, if it's warm and they come out of the ground really quick, if you get exposed to that day length, it can really hamper your yields so planting early can make it you could actually go backwards now i know guys are saying well i'm planting march 15th you know i'm sitting i pull my i sit there well you're you're playing with fire if it works good for you but it's not something that we would recommend so our recommendation is wait until april 5th that would be the earliest that we would plan is april 5th mm-hmm. um the nc state data which doesn't mean anything to anybody here but the nc state data it shows a very similar thing. You March March planted soybeans are not the top yielding soybeans. Okay, so I would yep. talk about that. I would just 
that's what the that's what all the research has said for a long time. We've known early planting does better because you have more exposure on, as the days are getting longer, up until the um, solstice on, in June, mm-hmm. in mid late June. So that's just a word of caution on that plant. As early as possible, I wouldn't go out with my planters tomorrow. Okay. Right. All right. And then as far as variety selection, just be cautious. A lot of the problems that you have with April planted soybeans, you, you have to buy resistance in a bag as opposed to adding something. So things like sudden death, uh, white mold, uh, those uh, stem canker, those diseases that we're more prone to getting when planting in cold temperatures, especially cold and wet, uh, we do not have right now today anyway, good mechanisms to stop those diseases without variety resistance. So I really, I know you, everybody wants to look at yields and the yield trials and listen to the CO. These are the best yielding ones we have, but really, really know um, what varieties have resistance to which disease, which sounds very generic. I know that, but the ones I worry about here is, um, Cercospora in the south is Cercospora, mm-hmm. which is a variety thing, um, and stem canker. Those are our two biggest ones. We have, as guys plant earlier and earlier here, uh, we worry about sudden death, which was never a big issue for us for double crop beans, but as we plant more full season beans. Mm-hmm. And then the other uh, variety uh, trait that we're looking for, as we've noticed the new varieties of Extend Flex. I can't speak to extend, but surely extend flex and the enlist beans are that the beans with the IDC, iron deficiency chlorosis tolerance, mm-hmm. are the ones with the highest yields. Okay. So my breeder people tell me that they don't know what gives a variety IDC. <laughs> he said they can only rate it after they make it and release it. Yep. But it's but and uh, Mississippi State does the best job I know of of rating varieties for IDC, mm-hmm. which won't help you guys up north. But I'm sure I don't know whether Kansas or South Dakota or some of the other places where iron deficiency chlorosis is an issue. But even if you have not had iron deficiency chlorosis, they seem to be uh, producing better beans, regardless of who makes it, or whose brand it is, and. My understanding is that most of them are a five or lower or the good ones and anything higher than that are less than average. And so we want to try to avoid any nines or tens, eight nines or tens on IDC mm-hmm. for early planted beans. So those are some of the characteristics of varieties that we're studying, that we're looking, that we're making decisions on. Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Um, so similar to the corn, selecting your hybrids, know what the weaknesses are, know what you struggle with, right? We got SDS, we got stem canker, we got, um, a couple key things that we know that we need good resistance. If you got white mold, white mold, yeah. And, um, if you have Sucospor. Yep. Which we don't seem to struggle with those much, but I know we, we have a good chunk of customers further north that white mold's a big problem. Um, Okay, next on the list, number two, is use full-rate seed treatments. And what I mean by full-rate is full-rate of active ingredient. Um, Every company is going to tell you they've got the best seed treatment. Uh, 
probably the first thing that we learned from Paul, probably the very first thing that we got into was talking about seed treatments on soybeans and how a lot of stuff on the market is below sublethal doses. They're sublethal doses, and that's a problem. So, Paul, um, we don't have to go super in-depth on this, um, but would you touch on what you see in the soybean market as far as treatments and why it's so important for us to make sure we're using full labeled rates. Okay. Well, there's a couple things. One, um, it used to be as farmers produced their own seed back in 1996, when they released Roundup Ready Beans, uh-huh. the vast majority of soybean seed planted in the United States was all farm, farmer raised, farmer produced. Mm-hmm. And that was a form of quality control. And as, got to where farmers couldn't raise their seed anymore because of Roundup Ready protection. Uh, the seed companies used seed production as a marketing tool to sell seed. So some of the seed quality that we're getting today is not what it was. And so there are diseases being carried on the seed. Mm-hmm. So that's a that requires a separate treatment. Now um, you have different conditions that people are planting under. It can be warm and wet, warm and dry, cold and wet, cold and dry. And I don't think people have a full appreciation. Uh, on Pythium, there's 66 different types of Pythium that could damage soybeans. Now, you know, Obviously, the vast majority of those five or six are the main ones, but there are some um, that are difficult to control. We have 16 anastomosis groups of rhizoctonia. If I control just one of those or partially control, I can put that on my label but it may not be a control the one that you have. Right. Um, we know that there's 90-something fusariums. Uh, the lighter, sandier soils, regardless of where you are, is going to be more prone to that. So the whole idea is that we want to put uh, uh, some treatments on there at labeled rates or as close as we can get. Like Cody said, there's so many holes in the seed treatment label, you can drive a truck through it. Uh, where they allows them legally to put sublethal doses, and which is what the majority of the seed people selling seed treatments do. Mm-hmm. There, and they give you all the reasons why we we can do that. We can do it. yes, you can do that legally, but now it's legal. They're talking what they can do legally as as opposed to what they need to do to help you as a producer protect your seed. Mm-hmm. You guys as farmers have dropped the ball because you think that once the plant is up, you see it emerge that you've emerged disease free. When in fact, a lot of these diseases are, are latent. It takes a while for them to build up populations to where they're impacting your root system. The success of soybean planting is all about roots, protecting roots, keeping roots. The more roots that we keep healthy, the more the soybean comes in contact with the soil microbes and raising high yield beans is all about the relationship between soybeans and the microbes in the ground and in and on the plant. So, and then whoever, then you have, so you have one component is seed cleaners. You have another component that stops diseases in cold soils, another one in, in warm soils, another one in wet soils, dry soils. And then what bacteria and fungi we can get to colonize those roots uh, when it first emerges to help them protect them from things like cyst nematodes, mm-hmm. uh, pathogens that live in the soil. So not all the pathogens that we have to worry about are on the soil. Some come on the leaf. 
what we're trying to do is preserve that cotyledon, that feeder leaf, yep, up to like fifth, sixth, or seventh trifoliate. So if that cotyledon has fallen off at the second or third trifoliate, there's an issue going on. Right. But just because it's falling off or turning yellow doesn't mean it's a it's a pathogen. It could be a herbicide. There could be some other explanations. But a lot of times it is a pathogen, mm-hmm. either on the seed or on the soil that did not get controlled. Right. So that's when your problems start. So that's the easiest thing for people to look at. Um, you know, if they're not going to look at seed treatment labels, then walk your fields, right? Go out there at V3. Mm-hmm. Sure. Are your cotyledons still green as a gourd and attached at V3? Or are they starting to turn yellow already? Or have they already fallen off? Because if, if they've fallen off by then, you got a problem, right? I mean, something. Yeah, we may not know what it is, but it's not natural. I show a picture. Yeah, it's not. Yep. It's not healthy. Something's going on. Yep. And it's it's a big problem. Um, lots of soybean treatment is, is not sufficient for us, not doing what it needs to do. Um, so, okay, that's number two. So we've got variety selection, early planting, not necessarily March planting, but early. Um, just we know April planting is ideal if the conditions allow us to be out there in April. Um, and then full rate seed treatments, number three on the list is... Um, similar to corn, um, we talked about this already on the last episode, but feed the soil and the plant microbes. Um, Paul just said it a minute ago. It's all about the microbes with soybeans. So uh, an analogy that Paul gave one time that I've stolen since then was the the below ground portion of the plant is where all the action is happening. So the above ground portion of the soybean plant is just the scoreboard. The game and all the action is happening below ground um, in and on that root system. So the, the, we talk about biologicals and soil biology. It's important for all crops, um, but Paul's opinion, and, and we rely on Paul, so we've put our trust in him, is that it's, it's especially important in soybean production. Is that right, Paul? Yes, absolutely. It's a... Uh... Yes, I'll just leave it like that. Yes. <laughs> so feed the soil microbes, feed the f- microbes that are on the leaf surface. Um, and, and I think I think you'll get a lot more about – 10 years from now, there will be a lot more talk about the, the microbes on the leaf surface. But there's a lot of evidence that shows that the microbes on the leaf surface are just as important as those that are in the soil uh, for plant health and for yield. So – that's why we do foliars with biologicals because we want to feed those microbes too. Um, so we are going to feed these microbes as often as we can uh, just because they have to eat every day. So just like the conversation we had on the corn episode, um, we got to feed them. We want to feed them pre-plant. We want to feed them in furrow. We want to put uh, something like network in with our post-herbicide, not only to um, mitigate that herbicide stress, but like Paul said, to feed the microbes that are breaking down that herbicide um, and to offset some of the damage that are done to those microbes on the leaf surface. And we want to put uh, biologicals, again, with fungicides to feed those um, phylosphere microbes, which are all the microbes on the leaf surface. So at the key growth stages, you know, the pre-planting and furrow are key because we got to get things off to a good start. Um, when that root comes out, like Paul mentioned earlier, it's going to be colonized pretty dang quickly with bacteria and fungus. 
and we want to make sure that we get as many beneficials on and in that root surface as we can. So we feed them pre-plant and furrow, post-herbicide, I already talked about why we're doing that, and with fungicide because, again, we got to keep the phylosphere microbes happy and thriving um, if we want to maximize plant health, nutrient uptake, um, hormone production, all these things are impacted. So we want to feed them as often as we can. Uh, we don't just want to put one product out one time and be like, okay, check the box. It doesn't work that way. You gotta, you gotta be consistent. You gotta do it multiple times to, to maximize your results. Um, so, uh, we covered that enough in the last episode that I don't feel like I need to harp on that anymore. Next. Um, well, wait, 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 stop, stop, please. That, take that thought process a little bit further. Okay. We're going we're gonna, to we're worried about the welfare of the microbes. Yes. Okay. Well, one of the things that can damage the health of the microbes is when growers go out with unnecessary insecticide sprays on their soybeans. Okay. Okay. One of the things that's really dangerous, in my opinion, is that we're making a trip. I see some holes in the leaves. I'm going to I'm going to put an insecticide in there because it's cheap, and we're going to go spray it. And I, I just think again, a lot of insects that you're knocking back are food for some of these microbes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so when you we talk about feeding the microbes, that also means don't destroy their natural food source. Yes, we're talking about supplementing some of it, but on the other hand, there are some natural. Uh, uh, food sources for these microbes and one of them is insects and bugs and when you when they die when the insects die or when they have their cycle or even in some cases when they're still alive these fungi especially are jumping all over these things and using them as a food source when you go out there and start spraying unnecessary below threshold insecticides i mean don't don't misunderstand what i'm saying we catch three corn earworms and 15 sweeps on double crop beans in the second, third week of August. We're going to put an insecticide there and go kill them. All right. If we have stink bugs piercing our soybean pods, we're going to go kill them. But if we don't have something out there just to do that, I've seen guys with budgets with three and four and five planned insect sprays on soybeans. I said, this is not even cotton. And I'm going, what in the world are you doing? I mean, this is terrible. So both Mississippi State and Arkansas, within months of each other, both came out and let growers know if you apply insecticides at below threshold levels, you can lose a bushel to a bushel and a half of soybean yield. So there is a penalty. That's all I wanted to say, Cody. Okay. Just think microbes. The whole, not just what you're doing to add them to feed them, but what they're naturally feeding on too. Mm-hmm. The whole that whole thought process of protecting these microbes. Right. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, so next on the list is balanced plant nutrition. Um, and and I, I don't want to get too redundant, but balanced plant nutrition is a big deal in all crops. Um, and we use Paul's tissue sampling database. Um, system to tell us what's most limiting, what's deficient, what's out of balance. Um, And the biologicals and the nutrients are both, uh, a lot of times we need both of those, some of each of those to to correct things. But um, balanced nutrition, uh, best 
the the best way that we can really tell what's going on is is tissue sampling in good conditions. So, Paul, you've mentioned before there's a very narrow soil moisture window, right, of when we can really get accurate, usable tissue samples. Yeah, I mean, you can take a tissue sample anytime you want to. This is America. But if you want to use it to manage and make decisions off of based on how free that crop, there's a relatively narrow window mm-hmm. of soil moisture. I only say between 60 and maybe 85%. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's too wet or it's too dry. Okay. And nutrients start backing up. Microbial activity diminishes dramatically under those conditions. Right. So we're not really getting a good feel for what we're actually reading and what we're actually seeing. Yep. It shows up in the tissue sample. Most of the time, we can tell somebody, uh, you know, this was a little dry, and, and we do have uh, 44 weather stations that we maintain uh, right. to make sure that we get tissue samples. We don't see something. We go look at the weather Yep. Uh, to see what uh, if there's anything we can wear. And the same thing, if you take in the middle of the day when it's too hot, you know, it's, it's, it's things like that that we can notice. It shows up. We can see it in the levels. Right. So we use yours. Um, we, we've used your recommendations, and we've pulled enough samples over the last three years um, that, like you said, you can tell, okay, it had to be dry when you pulled these samples. Um, but we've got enough in good conditions that we know what our problems are. So our strategy is built around our biggest problems. We struggle with molybdenum. We struggle with iron. Uh, a lot of times we we have uh, lower sulfur than we should. Um, so those are our focuses on soybeans. But if you're not tissue sampling, it's going to be really hard to pinpoint what you need. Um, so if you haven't tissue sampled in the past, there is no time like the present to start. Um, if we're going to build a program um, and start talking about what's most limiting on your farm, what should we be doing, that is going to have to be part of our process. Um, so balanced nutrition on all crops um, is highly important. So we, we want to mention on soybeans just because um, that that's what it's all about to us. Uh, Paul's got us, um, got me convinced anyways, that balanced nutrition is, is key. Um, so we're very focused on that. Um, so number five on the list is um, the same as corn, but, but I want to, it's going to be the same topic, but we'll have a different conversation. Have a plan for mitigating stress during drought periods. Um, and what I really want to talk about is the difference in water stress on soybean production and corn production. On on soybean production, when we have drought stress, um, I feel like it's even harder to overcome the drought stress on a soybean crop than on a corn crop. And I, and it's all about timing, right? So if we have drought during R2, R3, R4 on soybeans, um, if we don't get any rain in those periods, it's going to hammer us. The corn, we've been able to withstand, uh, you know, the whole month of June with no rain and still get really good yields. But we got rain at tassel time, at pollination, and through grain fill, right? So it's kind of a different, different story. Um, but as far as drought stress on soybeans and trying to mitigate drought stress, um, Paul, what, what's your opinion? What should we be doing to, to manage that? If we're going into R2, R1, R2, and it's like, all right, we haven't had rain in a couple weeks and it, there's none in the forecast. What are you thinking at that time? 
Well, our recommendation is a fungicide in R1 and one in R3. Okay. Now, to have, I can't ever, I can't recall, we haven't been doing it for that many years. I don't know, five or six years, seven years. Uh -huh. I don't remember having a situation with an R1 application where it was too dry, you know, to not, not do it. Mm -hmm. uh, R3, we've had some dry weather. Uh, and again, if you're wilting, it, it depends on you. If that ground's bone dry, we'll probably bypass that one to that R3 one. Uh huh. Save it for R5 to after we get rain. Yep. Because um, it's about plant protection as much as it is about um, plant uh, growth and yield. So it's a tough call. I mean, I go back to the original statement we talked about seed treatments. The job is to get a root system developed, a healthy root system developed mm -hmm. on the soybean plant. That's why the seed treatment is so incredibly important. People don't understand why that's so important and do it. You can't you can't do it all, but you want to do the best you can. And it's really an afterthought. Most growers they're requirement for a seed treatment is what's the cheapest to so put it on there um without even knowing what's in it right but that in turn is going to get your plant roots off to a good start because again they think if they see the plant emerge that they don't they, you know the seed treatment worked i'm good to go as opposed to saying you know it emerged but it wasn't bad enough to kill it before it emerged but what kind of shape is it in now so it's all about the root system and then Going back to your plant nutrition in the same thing, uh, the, the new for, new for 2024 is the endophyte. Uh-huh. Uh, so seed treatment on soybeans, it's a fungus that's going to really, it helps the plant get iron out of the soil. It helps the plant fight against soybean cyst. So if you've got soybean cyst on your roots, it's going to really make it susceptible to a drought. Correct? Yep. So what is it that we can do to, again, help alleviate some of the stress so when the dry weather does come, because most of us east of Mississippi are going to have some stress. So I want the microbes to be active. This fungus looks extremely promising. I'm, I'm quite amazed at what it did in 2024. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to making sure that there's a good, as good a biological activity as you can because that's what's going to help the plant overcome stress. Sure. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That that's just kind of my question. Like, all right, we we keep getting dry periods that are kicking our soybeans in the in the balls. What do we do? You know what what the heck should we be doing? Um, so that that answers my question. You know, fungicide at R one and R three. Um, yeah, if things are disastrous, we maybe we'll skip the R three one. Um, and wait you said wait just postpone it you know if you do get a rain at at, at late r3 or yeah, we'll r4 put up, put it up, i'm gonna get a response as late as an r5 okay okay um and then yeah seed treatment keep the roots healthy because that has a lot to do with how well that plant's gonna withstand the drought stress um biologicals uh endophyte this that's on my list too to touch on it because um, you know, that fungus that helps the plant get iron, um, helps, helps it fight cysts, um, SCN. Uh, the other thing about that is, um, 
there's quite a bit of research showing that it shares beneficial metabolites in stressful periods like drought stress. So there's reason to believe that it's going to help the plant um, withstand some of that drought stress. So that answers my question. Um, Paul, thank you for that. Um, but that let's recap real quick. Top five practices for soybean production. We've got variety selection and early planting. And by early, we mean for most geographies, we're going to be talking April planting, not March planting. I mean, I guess if you're, you know, if you're down in Georgia and it's that warm, then that's one thing. But most of us, um, in the Midwest and further North, it's the same day length. Cody. It's the same. same day. The days don't change. The day length does not change from Georgia much, much. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So early planting um, as opposed to late planting, variety selection based on what what do you struggle with? Is it SDS? Is it stem canker? Um, know what that is. Useful rate seed treatments, number two. Number three, Feed the soil and the plant microbes on soybeans. This is very critical. Number four, balance plant nutrition. It's important on all crops. Um, and number five, have a plan for what you're going to do if you do go through the summer drought. Um, we, we just I just want to have a contingency plan um, instead of, okay, we've got this plan on paper, and now now it hasn't rained for three weeks. I would like to know in advance what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do if this happens? Um, so those are the top five things um, that we wanted to discuss today on soybean production. Paul, thank you very much for for joining. Um, thanks for oh, all yeah, the help you give you us. Uh, you, I, I love having these conversations with you because if it's just me and nobody's listening to me or screening or questioning what I say, I may miss something. I may some. I may say something that that didn't come out the way I meant it to. So, I appreciate you joining us. Um, it's very helpful to have you on here. Um, thank you. So, all the listeners out there, thank you guys so much for joining um, and listening. And uh, stay tuned. We'll have we're going to drag Paul back on here as much as we can this year um, and cover as many topics as we can. So, thank you guys for listening, and we hope you tune into the next episode. Thanks. Thank you.